Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Zion. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, excited to be preaching today. But before I do, I want to give a couple of special shout outs. We got a lot of guests with us today that uh, are special to our church and to me. Uh, first, can we give a shout out to Jamie for leading worship today? She is a longtime friends of several leaders of our church, uh, leads worship at Hope Brooklyn. So thank you for coming today and leading uh, with us while uh, our team is vacationing like the half of the rest of our church. <laughs> um, but it, it's good to see you all. And I also want to give a shout out to the Jorgensen family, Daphne and Jim. They are here. Uh, Daphne and Jim, they, they were, uh, Jim was an elder at my father's uh, resurrection church for many years and was sent as a missionary to the Dominican Republic now, uh, just has an amazing prophetic ministry uh, that he ministers to churches all around the U.S. Uh, and the Caribbean, and so really glad to have you here. And then one of my childhood friends, Kristen, uh, I don't remember your last name for some reason right now, Kristen, but Estes, there you go. <laughs> It used to be Jorgensen. <laughs> that's, that's what I know her for most of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we grew up in resurrection. When I think of like my children growing up here and all the kids playing with each other, I think of a lot of the relationships. Uh, one of them is Kristen, where we grew up. She does ministry now, amazing businesswoman, entrepreneur. Uh, and we just, these friends that started at church for me when I was a young kid and just the blessing that it is to me now. So really glad you guys are here today. Um, and on that note for kids, if you have a child uh, and they are getting crazy and you want to bring them somewhere, we have a family room. The only thing I ask is just please don't leave your children unattended in the family room. Uh, and we have a feed for the service if you want to watch and be there. All right, so today uh, we are in, you should have gotten a service sheet when you walked in. We're in First John chapter 2, verse 28, so the ending of chapter 2, uh, verse 28, to chapter 3, verses 10. Um, we are going to be talking about so many good things today, but I want to anchor it in Christ, our future hope and his finished work. Uh, so last week, if you were here last week, we talked about some really good topics um, but we, we kind of learned last week, what is the crisis that is happening at the churches that John is writing to? And this, uh, he uses this word antichrist, which has a lot of meaning nowadays. But if you look at what John is meaning when he talks about this word antichrist, he's talking about people that don't confess Jesus, these people that have left the church that are preaching false doctrine. So another word that we can use for antichrist is these false teachers. And these false teachers were leading people out of the church, and they were taking them out of the church in these false doctrines, these false understanding about God. They had these crazy doctrines around sin and perfection. And so the crisis was getting worse and worse in the church. And so John writes this letter. He confronts it head on in the last uh, verses that we read. And so now as he, he confronts these antichrists, these false doctrines, and the people that are now leaving the church because of this, they're leaving the faith because of this, today we are going to ask, John basically gives us this answer, which is this, 
how do we in the midst of crisis, there's people leaving the church around us, there's false teachers or antichrists speaking false knowledge in the end times, which is the times we're living in since Jesus resurrected until he comes. How do we deal with sin and the devil in the midst of these things, in the midst of false teachers, in the midst of people leaving the church, in the midst of, we can say, in today's world, cultural crisis, and YouTube pastors, Instagram preachers that all have, now there's TikTok preachers, they, they all have their own doctrines, and they all are leading people into many different directions, and many of those directions are not Christ. How do we live in a time like that? Here's John's answer for us. Let's start in verse 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're gonna stop there in verse three for now. John's word to the church right now is simple. It is this word abide, abide. Now abide is not a word that we use a lot nowadays. So if you look at this word, this, this means to remain, to persevere, to wait. One of the words is that can describe this is to, to sojourn, is to go on a long journey and to continue going, to, to not leave something, to sit in the presence and not to depart. This is John's word to the church. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of, I mean, when, when you think of crisis, when you think of all the things that are happening there and you think of crisis now, I, I, many times I think of our pandemic and that's one of the things that we have been talking about is the, the crisis of realizing I don't want to be around the body again, that I, I have new habits and new things and Christ doesn't seem to be a part of that anymore. When we think of all this crisis, John's word to the church is this, abide. Abiding in Christ is all the things that we covered in our last series when we talked about what does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to, to have the same life as Jesus, to walk like Jesus did? Remaining with his people, meditating on him, eating the scripture daily, allowing it to be your food, to sit in prayer and silence in worship of God. This is what abiding is. Abiding is to live in, to, to take part in, to not only just be around once in a while, but it is in the presence of somebody. I abide in my home. I live there. I'm there every day. I sleep there. I'm there when I wake up. I'm, I, I can't wait after I get out of work to get home. I, I love it. This is my place of, of relaxation, of joy, of peace. The place that we abide. 
But the type of abiding that John talks about here in the scripture is something that I love. The abiding that John is hitting on over and over again in the passage that we just led, uh, read is abiding by hoping in Christ. So the first hope that John gives us here is hope in Christ's return, which we've been kind of talking about a lot. Melvin touched on this last week. But in this passage, John keeps on mentioning Christ's return. He says, we will have confidence. Will we have confidence or shame at his coming? What will be has not yet appeared. He's saying about talking about Jesus coming and appearing in the future. He says, when he appears, he keeps talking about this, this future hope that we have, that when Jesus comes, what will happen? See, when... when when we hope in Jesus, when we hope in his return, when we realize that not only did Jesus resurrect and ascend into heaven, but we have this very clear picture that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus will return one day. And when Jesus returns, not only will we see him with our eyes, we will behold Christ, but we will be like him. And so John tells us here that when our future hope and expectation is set on Jesus, his kingdom and his return, our hope in him purifies us now. In verse three, chapter three says, everyone who thus hopes in him, what purifies himself as he is pure. That to me is, is amazing because when I think about purifying ourselves, if you think of how religion usually speaks about purifying yourself and you think of the religious uh, sex in the world today, there, there's usually ritual that is attached to purification. There is usually, well, there, there's literal washing. You know, when I was in college, we were, our, our Christian club was around all the other religious clubs. They grouped us all together in the corner. And so I would see other religious folk in the bathroom washing themselves every single day during certain holidays, literally like throwing their feet in the sink, washing their feet. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was an interesting picture when you walk in the bathroom, but these were, this was how purification happened. If you look at religion today, what is religion says when, to purify yourself, you have to do these things. A lot of people, when they think of Christianity, they think of purifying themselves. They think of, I have to be good. I have to stop cursing. That's the number one thing I hear in the Bible about people. Is, you know, and, and non-Christians, they always, when they find out I'm a pastor and they just cursed up a storm, first thing they do is, oh, I'm sorry, you know, sorry for cursing that whole time. And I'm like, listen, I curse with the best of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But when we, when we think about purification, we think about ritual. You know, Christians, we, we may unintentionally say, is if, if I go to this building and I do X, Y, and Z, in other religions it's spelled out, to be pure, you have to do. You know, in, the, in the Torah, there were ritualistic processes to be pure, to be allowed back into the temple. But now John says, purification is your hope in Christ. Who do you set or what do you set your hope for your future in? That purifies your heart. 
When I think about who I want to be tomorrow, when I think about what I want tomorrow, it's very easy to think about all these other things. It's very easy to think about, man, what I want when my hope is easily in a bigger house. My hope is easily in a better job. My hope is easily in a newest stock tip. My hope is easily could be in a, in a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend, right? That what John covers before, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions. This is what we can easily set our hope on for a better life, for a pure future. If I just had more money, I would give. If I just had more time, I would stop doing this. If I just had better friends, I would spend more time in the word or in prayer. If I just had, you know, a, a better spouse, I would, I would stop being angry and mean all the time. We, we put our hope in all these different things. Because what we're hoping in is that these things will fix us. And so that's why John says, redirect your hope to Jesus and his return because when you hope for your future in Christ and the future he has set before us, then we have no choice but to be purified by him. There is not a ritual that needs to happen. There is no special thing that we have to do and perform and make sure, you know, like I get up, I do my five Hail Marys, then I'll make sure I'm good for the day. No. John says, put your hope in Christ because when your hope is in Christ, when your future is directed at all I want, all I want to be, all I want to do, all that I have, everything, my hope is in you, Jesus. When we put it in the other things, it's not, purification doesn't happen. What happens instead the opposite happens. Instead, we get washed by jealousy. Instead, we get washed by comparison. Instead, we get washed by coveting. When our hope is in a better job, well, then we look at other people's jobs and we think, well, I want that. And I don't have that right now. I'm not gonna attain that. Who knows when I will? And so what happens? I get stuck with jealousy. I start comparing. But when my hope is in Jesus... Come on, I'm preaching right now. Well, my hope is in Jesus. <laughs> when I hope in Christ, jealousy, comparison, covetous, all of that, it dies. Because all that I could want, all that I could ever be, all that I can have, everything that I can be satisfied is found in him. And he gives it freely to us. It purifies us. It purifies my motives in life and my relationships with people in my job, in my money dealings, in my investments. It purifies my motivations with my friendships. It purifies my motivations with my kids. It purifies me, it washes me, it cleanses me every day when I set my hope in Jesus and not on everything that the world will say, this is what you should want and desire for your future. And John defines what is purity? What does that mean to be pure? It says to be like him and to see him. That is why John proclaims this thing. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given us? The, the sense that is being conveyed here is one of awe. Do you understand what God gives you? 
Our narrow mindset of purity many times robs us of the awe of what it truly means to be pure in Christ. A lot of times we just think it means just not sinning. And so if I wake up and my main goal every day is just not to sin, well, one, I'll probably fail. Throw that out right there. But two, that's, that's, not some great, that's not great motivation. That is a narrow mindset of purity. When John describes purity, when he says, what does it, be, what does it mean to be pure like Christ? When he, when he mentions, what does it mean to be like Jesus? What is, what, is he, what is Jesus? Jesus is a son of God. So what does John say? We will be made children of God. Right now, he says. When he says we will be like Jesus, what is Jesus? Just as Jesus is righteous, so too are we made righteous. When, that's why when he says when we stand before Jesus, when he comes back, we're gonna, we don't want to shrink back in shame, but we will go before him in confidence. Can you imagine Jesus coming now? And instead of shrinking back in shame at all of the things that you've known you've done wrong your entire life, standing up in confidence and running over to him and welcoming him like a brother. The only way you can do that is if you know you are righteous like he is righteous, that you have nothing to be ashamed of, that you are in right standing with God, that all your sins have been covered, that God has thrown it as far as the east is from the west. That is how much he has removed your iniquity from you. Just like the world rejected him, so too will we be rejected, just like him. Some of you love the story, you against the world. Every day you wake up, we'll let you, if your motivation is you against the world, then look no further than Christianity. Because it is, literally, the world will be against you. When we are purified like Jesus, we become his child. We become righteous. We become rejected. When we remain in God or abide in God, then when Jesus comes back, we don't run in shame. We are confident we are loved. We are confident we are pure. We are confident we are righteous. So John's first thing, he says, abide And do that by hoping, because when you hope in him, you are purified. That means you're his child. That means you are righteous. But John doesn't only call us to move. He doesn't call us to move forward to some future victory and and, and to something that's going to happen later victory. He's calling us to move from the victory of Jesus that Jesus already had. He calls our attention then after this to what Christ has already done. He says your future hope in Jesus's return can only happen because of what Jesus has already done. This is how the purification process is possible. This is how righteousness is possible. This is how being a child of God is possible. Let's read verse four to six. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now John moves us to hope in Christ's finished work. 
In verse 5, he says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. When Jesus came, when he appeared, past tense, he came to take away our sins. Did you know that? That when, when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he, he came and he specifically came to take away our sins. Many of us still allow sin to have dominion over our life. We still allow sin to have its say in our everyday decisions. And we need to be reminded that Jesus came and he took away our sin. This is why he appeared. Because of that, John says in verse six, no one who abides or remains in him keeps on sinning. So if Jesus, this is just a logical argument here. If Jesus came to take away sin, if you are in Jesus, then you cannot keep on sinning. Again, that word abiding shows up. It is remaining in Christ. It is enduring in Christ, perseverance in Christ, living with Christ. A lot of times people have asked me, how, how have you made it when they're going through struggles or addictions? And really the difference between, I would say, myself and other people that have not continued in the path of Christ is this one word, remain. The difference is not that I, we, I sinned less than that person. The difference is not that I, I was better at self-control many times than that person. The difference is not that I, 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 I did better that day or that year or that decade than that person. The difference was one, one remained and one did not. No one who remains in him keeps on sinning. If you remain in Christ, then the work he did on the cross will make sure that sin does not remain in you. So because of this, John gives us this moral test. He says, if you practice sin, then you have not seen or known Jesus. And practice here is the key word. Because practice is what we covered on several times now. That is, practice is to think of that same word, remain in, habitual, walk in, live in. It is, it is abiding in sin. It is remaining in sin. It is to keep on sinning. It's to, it's to have this idea of sin where I, I, I'm, God's seed does not abide in me, but sin rather abides in me and I abide in it. I am remaining in sin rather than remaining in Christ. Here's another way of putting it. Because a lot of times people will read this passage and say, Justin, am I saved? That's a real question. But here's another way of putting it. If you can shamelessly put someone down and it doesn't bother you at all, you are not one of God's children. Today, he calls you to repent and put your hope in him. But if you put someone down and you feel convicted, and you are convicted to the point of repentance, then what? You are one of God's children. Why? Because sin cannot remain in you. If you went on that website again and it bothered you, guess what? You are a child of God. Because if you weren't, it wouldn't bother you. Sin wouldn't, would be able to remain in you with no problem. 
If you had that, that burst of anger again, and it bothered you and you repented and you confessed, guess what? You are a child of God. The Spirit is working in you. It is convicting you. He is transforming your heart. He is sanctifying your mind. He is purifying your motives. But if you do it and you're like, all good. Nothing to see here. Be worried. Because the wrath of God is coming for you. Be worried because no child of God can allow sin to remain in them. No child of God can, can abide in sin and let sin abide in them and be okay with it. We are not talking about the difference between never sinning and sinning. We are talking about the difference between living in sin and being convicted to the point of turning away from sin. Do you understand that? The second thing John calls us to hope in and what Christ has already accomplished is in verses seven to 10. He says this, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides or remains in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Can we just say amen to the fact that Christ appeared to destroy the works of the devil? I tell you, I see so many Christians that are so concerned about the works of the devil, so scared of the devil, so worried about the devil. They have forgotten that Christ appeared, past tense, to destroy the works of the devil. That, that word destroy doesn't mean annihilate completely, obviously, because the devil is still at work today. He is still tempting. He is still looking to see whom he may devour. That word means to take away his teeth, take away his power, so that he's a dog with a lot of bark but no bite. So he can yap in your ear all day and all night. He can make it seem real loud. He can make the thunder real strong. But when it comes down to it, he got no lightning to back up the bark that he has. See, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was not sent on a peacekeeping mission to the earth. Hippie Jesus does not exist. Why did he come? He came to make war. To invade the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of his marvelous light. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. He came as an invading army to a kingdom of darkness that had taken over the earth. And he came with a sword to destroy. 
And let me tell you, every time we baptize somebody, the scripture, John specifically talks about how we are invading the kingdom of darkness. We are saying, this is one temple you will not have. This is one piece of territory that is no longer yours. That when Jesus came, it was not to bring peace to this earth, but it was to start a war. And the cross was the opening shots of that war. And maybe that battle in Satan's eyes was won. But guess what? Right? He will bruise his heel, but thank Christ, he will crush his head. See, when we practice sin, John is making very clear here that our father is the devil. Do you know what I love? We were talking about this at the men's barbecue yesterday, that scripture actually never names Satan as being his name. A lot of us refer to Satan as like, this is, you know, Satan is attacking me. That's actually the improper way to talk about it. It's actually the Satan is attacking me because the deceiver is attacking me. The liar, the devil, the, the, the accuser. The, the Bible actually never names the evil one, but it gives him lots of titles. And, and we give too much dignity to the devil when we give him a name. Because when we give him a name, that's like giving him personhood and responsibility in our life. But when we refer to him like the Bible refers to him, when we say, the liar is telling me this, well, what does that mean? Well, obviously, this is lies. When we say, the deceiver is speaking or tempting me with this, we are calling him out on what he is as he speaks to us. When we say the accuser is coming after him, then we know that this is the false accusation of the devil. And it already begins our war against him when we name him like he truly is by his title. And so when we practice sin, our father is the accuser. Our father is the liar. And we are at war with God. And we are what? Headed for destruction because that is where all sin and the devil is headed. If you do not follow Jesus, it is easy to deceive yourself that you are a neutral third party. Well, I'm going to break news to you. There's no Switzerland's in the war between heaven and earth. There is no neutral third party. John calls it out very black and white here. You are, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. There is no such thing, John says, as observers in this war. You are either remaining in God and you, his seed remains in you, or you are remaining in sin and the seed of the devil remains in you. Many times we have loved to deceive ourselves, and society loves to deceive ourselves, and it's with this word good. I am, I am good. I am good enough. I am a good person. The good deeds outweigh the bad. I am good. But guess what? It's not about good or bad, because in that case, I'm screwed, to be honest. It is not about that. It is about, are you a child of God or are you not? That's why I can look at other people, and I'm like, man, they're better than me. I just got a lot more stuff that God is working out in my heart. Taking a lot more time. But he's working. 
He's sanctifying. He's purifying. My hope's not in my self-control. My hope's not in my discipline. My hope is not in my personal motivation. My hope is not in my workout. It's not in my job. It's not in my home. It's not in my finances. It's not in my, and how much money I make. That is not where my future hope lies. The power to be one of God's children is not in how good I was in the past. My past hope relies on what Christ has done. So my future is not of this world and my past is not what I have done. All my hopes are found in Christ. His work to destroy sin and destroy the devil and his future coming. Where I will be like him, I will see him. John gives this test again. Which side are you on? Do you practice righteousness? Do you love your brother? If you are failing, the answer is not try harder. The answer is remain in God. I can't tell you how many times in my life I found myself trying harder, and every time I come to the same point in my life, I give up. And in those moments of give up, when I say, God, I cannot do this anymore, I remember what God calls me to do, not do it. And I can sit in God and say, God, it's your hands. And when I say it's in God's hands, that is when God always does his work. Because all I do is I sit and I abide in him. All I do is I sit and I remain in him and I say, God, my hope is you. I can't, my hope is not me anymore. And what happens, I begin to be purified by his presence and his power. We like to complicate things, church. We like to develop rituals and systems and formulas where scripture is clear constantly. It's him. That's the answer, it's him. All your hope, all your future, all your treasure, it's him. And when it's him, that's when the good stuff starts to happen. That's when I found myself closing my eyes during scenes for the first time in my life. When I found myself not having to break my neck every time a beautiful woman walked by me. It's when I found myself not erupting in anger when someone didn't listen to me. It's when I found myself actually able to love the person next to me that I could not stand. It's when all the good stuff happens. You can lie, but do not be deceived. If you remain in sin, you are headed for God's wrath and you are headed for destruction. Because why? The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil wherever it lays. You can lie to everyone you want about how righteous you are, but God knows every secret, every hidden thing, every detail. And on the last day when he comes, all will be revealed. So instead of walking away despairing today, I invite you to do what John calls the church to do in the beginning of this passage. To put all your future hopes, plans, and desires in Christ, his coming kingdom, and his finished work.
When we do, it says that he will put his seed in us. He will purify us. He will call us his children. He will make us righteous and allow us to stand with confidence in his presence. Don't pray, God, take away my sin. Pray, God, I want to know you. God, I want to abide in you. God, I want to remain in you. God, I want to endure in you. God, I want to persevere in you. Pray it every day. Pray it every second. Meditate on it day and night. Read the book that gives you that revelation of him every single day. Don't let a day go by without eating from his word. Scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, make you one of his children, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That gives me something to worship and to praise about. Can you stand with me? We're going to jump into worship in a second. And at worship, we're going to have some of our leaders here on the side. And at any moment during worship, they will be there to pray with you. If you want prayer for anything, we invite you, come and pray. We want to pray with you. But let's pray together right now before we enter into worship. Lord, I pray that we would be an abiding church that we would be a church that remains in you. That wherever we are right now, Father, that we would put our hope in you for our future lives and for our past victory. God, that we would come before your presence And say, Jesus, we just want you. We want to know you. We want to be with you and know that from there, all the other things fall into place. Help us to be an abiding church. In Jesus' name we pray.